Hi, Nancy. Hi, Shane. Uh, so we're still here in our homes. Yep. It's summer, end of summer when we'd normally be traveling, probably, or a lot of people in D.C. get out of this swamp. Yeah. Um, but now we're not. Um, were you supposed to go anywhere fun this summer? Do anything fun uh, this summer? Yeah, actually, earlier this month, I would have been at a conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, and afterwards, my partner and I were planning on going to a lot of the parks out in the Southwest. And one of the big ones was Arches. And oh, that's not happening. I love all those parks. Arches is special. Arches is amazing. I went there a long time ago in high school. But yeah. one of my favorite writers. Oh, geez. Ah! <laughs> Edward Abbey. Spoiler. He, has, he spent this. He has this famous book, Desert Solitaire, where he spent like a year, I think it was either in Arches or Canyonlands, but he was like the caretaker there. And it's just amazing piece of nature writing. It was like, I think one of the first books that I read, it was ever like kind of nonfiction, you know, whatever that really touched me. Which is all you like now Um, is nonfiction. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's about like Arches and how, you know, the Arches have, they're just these amazing structures that have kind of the ability to remind people that there's this bigger world that's existed um, for millions of years before we even got here and will continue to. And so it kind of puts things in perspective, which is good. Especially now. I think. Exactly. Things, bigger things than us, bigger things than our, our closets and our homes. And <laughs> right. Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and the methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in the manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Nancy Bompey. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. Okay, Nancy, so we are not just talking about places we would like to be, but we're talking about Arches in particular for this episode, right? Correct. Arches was the um, the subject of this episode, Arches National Park and the Arches in it. Um, so to hear a little bit more, we bring in our producers. Hi, Liza. Liza Lester. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Katie Brundell. Hey, guys. I love this announcer version. <laughs> yeah, I switched into that mode right now. Uh, all right. So what do we what do we have today? Today we talked to a scientist who has been listening to the earth in Arches National Park and other places around there. They're they're listening to the sounds that these arches make when the wind blows through them, other things cause them to vibrate. They have these natural resonances. But we can't hear them with our ears. So they have instruments for that. Oh, well that's exciting. Yeah, should we talk to Riley Finnegan? And we can do hear it. more about it. Oh, gosh. I am Riley Finnegan, and I am a PhD student at the University of Utah, and I get paid to throw up out of helicopters. I mean, is that fun? It is. (laughs) Where are you going on these helicopters? So we are studying the effects that helicopter sound has on different rock arches and towers, uh, specifically around the state of Utah. So the arches, like the arches we see in Arches National Park? Yeah, yeah. Our uh, One of our Utah state license plates has delicate arch in the middle of it, so that might be a common, uh, one of the maybe more famous arches um, around the world, and that is in Utah. So helicopter, the sound of the blades as they are, as, as the helicopter is spinning past, this actually affects the rock? Yeah, so helicopters produce a variety of different sounds, the lowest of which comes from the the main rotor, and so that's the, the blades you see at the top of the helicopter. 
depending on the number of blades and the the speed at which the helicopter blades rotate determines what what frequency is emitted by those those blades and so um, for instance a common two-blade helicopter will emit sound at 13 hertz which is actually infrasound which is sound that is too low for a human to perceive so humans can typically hear down to about 26 hertz but of course that uh, number gets higher as the older uh, we get <laughs> um, but but really 13 hertz is pretty much Im imperceivable too, a little bit too low for us. Maybe whales. Um, elephants. 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 Yes, elephants can communicate and do communicate using infrasound. Okay, so why do the helicopter, the sound of these helicopter blades, shake the rock? So different arches and different towers, actually any arch, any tower, whether it's man-made or made by nature, vibrate at different resonant frequencies. So you can kind of think of arches or towers as like a guitar string. And if you pluck the guitar string, it vibrates back and forth at a specific tone or a specific frequency. And you hear that, uh, those vibrations as sound waves. And it's the, the same idea for an arch. So if you think of it like a guitar string, it's, it's constantly being plucked by the energy from within the earth and from around the earth. And so as this energy is constantly plucking the arch, it's resonating or vibrating at different frequencies. And then the other part of it is that if those natural frequencies align with the frequency of sound emitted by a helicopter, then it causes the arch to vibrate more than it naturally does in its environment being plucked by the energy of the earth. And so um, particularly if you align the frequencies of sound and vibration exactly, uh, in resonance is induced. And so the arch will shake far more than it typically does. And you can kind of think of it as like pushing someone on a swing. If you push the person with uh, the right timing or at the right frequency, the person will swing higher and higher and higher. And that's the same idea with uh, arches resonating from exposure to helicopter sound energy. Is this similar to that bridge in Washington State? Have you ever seen this movie of it like I guess the wind resonance causes it to start to sway and then it just shakes itself apart. Yeah, and I think you can talk to a variety of mathematicians who uh, are experts with differential equations and they, they might argue that it actually wasn't resonance. Um, oh, they're killing the myth for me. But, but I, think, I think it might be up for debate. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not an expert in that particular instance, um, but I know there are some people that are saying, no, it really, it really wasn't. Um, but the idea, I think, um, like soldiers break cadence when they're walking across a bridge so that they don't accidentally walk at the same frequency of the bridge and cause it to shake um, unnaturally. Yeah. Uh, that is a urban legend that might be true. So part of it is like the shape it itself, like the arch. Not If you had a spire that was thin, it might not have the same kind of resonant property. So different things uh, determine what frequency an object will resonate at. So some of the um, determining features are, of course, the size, the shape, um, the slenderness, how stiff the material is that composes the, the actual structure. Um, the density and mass uh, by proxy. 
So, so you can think of like a building. There are many structural engineers that study, maybe civil engineers as well, that study the resonant frequencies of buildings. And that's really important for um, like earthquake hazard and um, making sure that our buildings don't fall down and collapse when there's an earthquake because if uh, the, the resonant frequencies of the building align with the, the shaking of the earth, then it can cause damage to the buildings and bridges. So That'd it's the same, yeah. same idea. You had this video where, where one of the arches is kind of like twisting and it's doing this back and forth. Like, I was wondering if you could just describe what's happening in that video, in your, like in words. So that video is an over-exaggerated animation of the mode shape of that particular frequency of the arch. That is the 26 hertz mode of arsenic arch. So arsenic arch, like I had explained with the guitar string vibrating, arsenic arch vibrates at different frequencies or different tones. Depending on the time of year, it can vary by like a few percent. The arch vibrates at 6 hertz, at 16 hertz, at 26 hertz, and at 36 hertz. So that animation is of the 26 hertz mode. So it's extremely over-exaggerated. The arch does not actually shake with that um, amount of displacement. But it gives you the idea of the way that the arch vibrates back and forth. So sometimes the shaking will be really straightforward and it's just up and down. Sometimes it's back and forth. Sometimes it's really twisty. This is a little bit of a combination of some of those. I can't imagine if uh, the vibrations were actually as much as kind of the animation show. Like, and you, it'd be like earthquakes, right? Yeah, it wouldn't even yeah. be much as minor vibrations. <laughs> like an actual guitar string visibly vibrating for your eyes. That would be crazy. Um, but I want to, so I'm really interested though. She started off with helicopters. I want to hear more about the helicopters. Like, why are there so many helicopters there? What's, what's the issue? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I was kind of surprised there were so many helicopters in the national park, but I guess this is a way that people get to see the arches that you can't walk on. We have a variety of helicopter tour companies around Utah, and um, each of the national parks have thousands of helicopter flights over the parks, um, each park every year, and the Grand Canyon has hundreds per day. And so there are really helicopters flying everywhere all the time and, and the reach of their energy is, is pretty much unlimited because of that. And uh, initially the Native American Consultation Committee reached out to our group with this question and um, the, so the Native American Consultation Committee works with the National Park Service with the management of Rainbow Bridge National Monument. It's a bridge that is considered sacred to various Native American groups in the Southwest Desert region. And they were concerned with the amount of helicopter tours happening by Rainbow Bridge. And so they approached our research group asking if helicopters could cause damage to this arch because it's a very, very precious uh, resource to them. And um, in general, it's a wonderful feature that I think everyone should be really just concerned about the, the well-being of it. 
So we were approached with this question and um, we're beginning to address it and it, it looked like the bridge, I guess, itself was likely unaffected structurally by the, the helicopter tours because the, the natural frequency didn't align with the frequency um, of sound emitted by the helicopter. However, it opened the question to all these other arches. We have 6,000, over 6,000 documented in the state of Utah. Most of the arches in Utah are made out of sandstone, a lot of it out of Navajo sandstone, um, some Entrada sandstone. So uh, these are just different names for different layers of sand that has been compressed together over time and represents a entire formation of rock. And this is abundant all throughout Utah. And essentially what can happen is if there's a fracture in the rock, a like a, a large crack or something um, erosion causes this crack to grow and grow and over time this crack can essentially separate the the sandstone like vertically and you get a fin so you can kind of think of like the features in Bryce Canyon where you kind of go in and out and there's these like cool fins made and then somehow whether it be like water comes through or more wind comes through, there's another crack and that crack is eroded and weathered, the, the material is weathered away and you end up with a arch. And the definition of an arch might not be exactly what you think of it. Uh, typically the arch enthusiasts of the world consider an arch to be uh, an opening of three feet and that opening can sometimes be like separated from a cliff that is like the opening is an inch and you cannot tell that it's actually an arch um so so we have arches of various like ages and and stages of maturity so there are like young arches where it really doesn't look like an arch it might just look like an alcove um and then there's arches like delicate arch and rainbow bridge have you found any arches that you're seeing really these detrimental impacts from from the helicopters um to the point where maybe they're cracking or they're in danger of collapsing or some other um, devastating impact and what are you are you looking for possibly this science in these scientific findings to inform policy around the helicopter tours? I guess I can answer that in a few different ways. There are arches, dozens of which have collapsed over the last few decades, and some of them are like higher profile cases, like a uh, wall arch collapsed in 2008, and that was in Arches National Park. There was an arch in Malta that was like the national tourist activity maybe it's not sorry people of Malta if it isn't but um that was like a really spectacular sea arch that collapsed and so arches do have a a finite lifetime and it's part of the natural uh, erosion of the landscape around us nothing is permanent and so 
this this question that we're trying to get is yeah are helicopters damaging arches are they affecting the structural integrity of these features can they cause them to fall down and past studies have shown that uh helicopters are able to induce vibrations in towers that are considered potentially damaging and we've in, in our studies we have not seen vibration levels reach something that we would consider instantaneously damaging. So it's not going to bring the feature down immediately or it's not going to cause a crack to grow right then and there. However, our question, um, since we haven't seen these instantaneously damaging levels of vibration is what is the long-term impact? What happens when you have a dozen helicopter flights every single week or hundreds every single day over these really precious features. And if we're able to answer this question with numbers that we're, we could provide to um, agencies that can make decisions, we would, we would love for that to happen. It's a little bit tricky with the National Park Service. They do not manage the airspace above their parks. The Federal Aviation Authority, I think that the FAA, they uh, manage the airspace over national parks. And so it's really up to them to create the policies. We have good relationships with various regional national park managers. So um, uh, the, the Rainbow Bridge National Monument National Park Service land managers, they, they are um, invested in, in our work. So these vibrations that are induced in the arches as helicopters are passing or hovering, um, this is outside of human hearing, as you mentioned, but if you were to speed it up to where we can hear it, what does it sound like? I think it sounds kind of spooky. Some elementary school students, middle school students, I guess older people too have said it, it can sound like a whale or a ghost talking. Yeah, so, so we use seismometers to record the vibrations of arches, and seismometers are tools that uh, seismologists use to understand how the ground moves during an earthquake, and um, they're used in, in many other ways as well, but that's a very simple explanation of what it is. And we place it on the arch or the tower, whatever we're measuring, and it records the vibrations. And so we can speed these vibrations up, and it... It's, it becomes something that a human can hear. Essentially what you're listening to is how it would feel to be an arch or a bridge while a helicopter is flying by you. And the, the shaking vibrations get stronger, and so that, that corresponds to an increase in volume and what, what you're hearing. Is the vibrations they're experiencing, like, is there a way we could describe how much energy that is, or how, how much, how, what is the, the amplitude, I guess, we're trying to say, of, of these vibrations that we don't hear, but the arch feels? Yeah, humans will not be able to detect these vibrations. There are some instances for climbers. There's a 
spire near castleton tower which we recently put a paper out on its resonant frequencies um some climbers volunteered to bring a seismometer to the top of this 100 meter tall maybe 80 meter i don't know 100 oh 120 meter tall tower and so they climbed up with a seismometer placed it on the top and measured its vibrations and um some some other climbers reached out to us after this paper was published and said that there's a spire across the ridge where at one point you need to kind of reach out and cross over like this massive gap to this other side of or like a different tower or something I have never been there but they said that you can you can feel it swaying and you can see the gap kind of opening and closing so in some instances you can feel I have known many climbers, but they, none of them have convinced me to become rock climbers. <laughs> no, no, no. However, in this instance, uh, the displacements of the arch itself are um, very small. So, for instance, uh, the the vibration velocity for um, one of our flights of of the bridge reached 0.1 millimeters per second. So that is not something a human can perceive. And you can also convert that to power so how like strong the arch shaking is negative 80 decibels is the the power that the arch is vibrating with infrasound power levels can reach up to at least our recordings have had it reach up to 100 decibels which would be like being at a live concert but it's really kind of weird because you cannot hear 13 hertz energy and yet it's the same loudness as being at a live concert. Maybe a live concert for elephants. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're rocking out. <laughs> Other things that helicopter pilots can do that would reduce their impact or change mm. the way that the arches are, I guess they can't really slow down their rotors. The rotor speed is what the rotor speed is, but um, is it the way, the, the way, the direction they approach or anything like that, something that would reduce this resonance for the arches that are affected? Yeah, I, I would say the the basic answer would be to not fly near. And and it gets a little bit more complicated because what is near? And, for example, uh, we flew just a standard tourist helicopter flight over Bryce Canyon National Park, and this is something that happens many times a day. And we measured, we measured the resonance of a bridge that vibrates naturally at 13 and a half hertz so that resonant frequency coincides with the energy emitted by that two-blade helicopter and the closest the helicopter got was 600 meters from the arch and I was down in the canyon and I could kind of see the helicopter flying by it was it, it seemed quite far away yet the vibrations of the bridge increased a hundred times so that's the basic answer is don't fly close to the arch um However, like, I think there's lots of different stakeholders at play. Uh, helicopter tourism is an industry in Utah that um, supports people's livelihoods. Uh, and, then, and then I guess the other thing for what can helicopter pilots do to not affect uh, these features as much, and it's really hard to answer that because certain features will respond to helicopter energy in different ways. So if you have a feature that is like a beam on its end and it, it just it pretty much vibrates horizontally so just back and forth I'm trying to think of a good 
example, my advisor says like when you smack a stop sign uh, when you're waiting and it, yeah, and it, it just <laughs> vibrates back and forth. And then he was wondering, do people smack stop signs or is it just me? <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> and so, so you can think that that's a way that a feature, like a tower might vibrate. And then if you think of something like an arch, it will vibrate likely up and down predominantly, um, of course, depending on the geometry. Um, if, it's, if it's more like a flat arch, like a bridge, it will definitely vibrate more up and down. And like a guitar string. I guess guitar strings vibrate in two different directions, so that may not, might not be a good example. Same with the stop sign, man. So if you have a helicopter flying flat, the energy is coming horizontally out in the plane of the main rotor. And so you have horizontal energy, and if you send that at something that moves predominantly horizontally, that will vibrate more. However, if you send that horizontally incoming energy at something wants, that wants to vibrate up and down, we've seen that that feature will not respond as strongly as a feature that wants to, that wants to vibrate horizontally. There's no perfect answer that work for every formation out there. They have their yeah. each their own peculiarities. Yeah, and, and we actually were really confused during one of our flights um, because we had a helicopter that was flying directly over an arch, and then it would, like a mile away or half a mile away, would turn around and come back, and so it was banking. And we would see spikes in the power during these banks, and we were really confused because the arch was vibrating strong as strongly when it was 2,000 feet away as it would when it was like 200 feet over the arch. And we were like, "Why on earth is this happening?" And then we realized that the directionality of the helicopter infrasound actually mattered for how the arch would shake. So it's not a direct answer, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, this is great and all, but I was promised a uh, throwing up out of a helicopter story. <laughs> yeah, but she definitely, she definitely included one of those stories, and it doesn't make me want to fly around in a helicopter. In June, we did one of the most ambitious fieldwork trips that we have done, and maybe there are real geologists that go out in the field for like six months in the middle of nowhere, and they almost get attacked by snakes or whatever, but this was pretty ambitious for us. Uh, so we took nearly all the equipment that we own and placed it at three different sites and measured the vibrations of six different towers and three different arches and had a helicopter come fly at each of those three sites. I got in the helicopter and it was it was nice outside, it was a little windy, but once I got in the helicopter, I realized that it was like 90 degrees, and again, not that bad, but we're flying around, and there's, there's no open windows or anything, and I was starting to feel a little, like, a little woozy, and we're having him perform different maneuvers so we can get these banks that we had learned about in our past flights. So different angles, we're flying in straight lines, we were flying, flying in circles, and... I mean, it was it was fine at the first site, and then we flew a few miles um, to the second site, and it was it was okay there. And then we flew, I don't know, maybe like 
20 miles to the other flight or other site and arrived there. And at that point, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to throw up. And so he lands <laughs> and I open the window and I burp. And I was like, oh, okay, that's all that needed to happen. And he <laughs> and so he opened his window. And so there's this crossroads. I was like, okay, this is this is not bad. So he got back in the uh, in the air, finished the maneuvers, and then we flew back to the first site. And I said, you know, how about you do a few more circles? Because one of our instruments wasn't fully set up when he started going. And so he did three more circles, and at that point, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and so he touched the ground, and exactly as he touched the ground, I opened the door, and I just threw up all the food I had eaten. That sounds like success to me, because <laughs> you made it to the ground. <laughs> Actually. And opened the door. <laughs> it wasn't all over your shoes or the inside of the yep. helicopter or the pilot. Yep. And, and and the pilot actually turned to me, and he just said, he nodded and looked very just knowingly at me and said, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Sure <laughs> yeah, he did tell me a story after that burp about some like, producer for, I don't know, one of the local news stations or something like that who was flying and just like threw up all over the helicopter. So at least it was on the ground. <laughs> So Nancy, I know that you you said you get motion sickness. Uh, would you would you be the person that vomited all over the helicopter, or you'd be able to make it out of the helicopter? Oh, that is a good question. Or like vomit in your bag or something. Oh God! You know, oh. Just thinking about this like makes me want to vomit. To be honest. Oh. Um, oh. So I great! This is audio, sick. and people can't yeah. like see the faces that we're making. <laughs> Um, but it is still pretty, I mean, it's still pretty cool what they're doing. Um, I wonder though, like, you know, I know the helicopters do it, but I, I know that make it vibrate, but I know that, um, they've looked at other, I think, cause we've talked to these guys before they looked at other things. Like these arches vibrate, like all these different things make them vibrate that you wouldn't even think about. A prominent example is there's a train, a potash train that goes right by Corona Arch. If you've been there on Sunday, you might have seen the the train going back and forth to get loads of potash. And then um, also looking at uh, vehicle traffic. So two winters ago, Rainbow Arch and not Rainbow Bridge, but Rainbow Arch is about five meters long. So uh, don't worry, everyone. Uh, it collapsed and it was in uh, Arches National Park in the visitor center area and it's situated right by the highway and there was a crack that was in there but um, we at least in terms of our measurements of it didn't see it as in imminent danger of falling down but it collapsed and so one of the questions I'm trying to address is would this arch have collapsed as soon as it did or when it did um, had it been in a quieter environment, um, something that would be more natural than being right next to a highway. We don't live in a world that is still and that um, even features like rocks and like arches and mountains, they are moving as well. And, and really the world that we live in is dynamic and what we do impacts how, how this 
how everything, I guess, is in our world. And, and I guess bringing just another perspective of what we might inadvertently be doing. What is your favorite arch? Squint. Squint arch. Yes, the seriously, the arch enthusiasts are creative namers. They're really helpful. They've helped us identify different arches of like different. We we emailed a few of them and said, hey, we're looking for an arch that is on public land around nine to 13 meters. Any ideas? And then they just email back a list. Um, so they're they're great people, uh, adventurers, and are really creative with the naming. And and really, Squint Arch, uh, the name speaks for it. It's hard to see. Uh, I was providing a description for my advisor when he went to go find it. I said, if you can't find it at this point, like turn around because you probably missed it. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So you kind of had to squint to see it. Of course there are arch enthusiasts there's like you know a fandom for everyone i love it i think that i think that just speaks for itself i think that's a really great way to to end it yeah i agree all it's right very edward, very edward abbey yes yes all right y'all well that's all from third pod from the sun thanks so much to liza and katie for bringing us this story and of course to riley for sharing her work with us this episode was produced by Liza and mixed by Kayla Surrey. And please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or especially on Apple Podcasts. Um, you can always find us at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all. And we'll see you next time. And now a reading of Edward Abbey by Nancy Bompey. A weird, lovely, fantastic object out of nature, like Delicate Arch, has the curious ability to remind us, like rock and sunlight and wind and wilderness, that out there is a different world, older and greater and deeper by far than ours, a world which surrounds and sustains the little world of men, as sea and sky surround and sustain a ship, the shock of the real. For a little while, we are again able to see, as the child sees, a world of marvels, for a few moments, we discover that nothing can be taken for granted. For if this ring of stone is marvelous, then all which shaped it is marvelous. And our journey here on Earth, able to see and touch and hear in the midst of tangible and mysterious things in themselves, is the most strange and daring of all adventures. Mm -hmm.